Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today you'll hear from Michelle Miller. She is better known as the Farm Babe. She is an online influencer, columnist for eggdaily.com, an international keynote speaker, and a farmer. Michelle started her social media outreach nearly five years ago as a way to better bridge the gap between farmers and consumers and has made a name for herself as a dedicated mythbuster in food and farming. It is really a great episode and I can't wait for you to hear it. But before we get to today's episode, let's go over the review of the week. This week's review comes from Kyle Brezidine on Apple Podcasts. It is titled Loving Listening and says, Loving hearing from other female farmers around the country. So relatable. Well, thank you so much, Kyle, for your five-star rating and review over on Apple. Your support means so much to me. And I would like to give a big shout out to our newest supporter over on Patreon, Emily Newfeld. Thank you so much for your support and If you would like to help support the Rural Woman podcast, I would encourage you going over to wildrosefarmer.com where there is tons of different ways that you can support the show, one of them being Patreon. And we are currently 74% to our first goal over on Patreon. So I'm hoping by the time I record the introduction for next week's episode that I can say that we are 100% of the way. So if you'd like to help me get to that goal, head on over to patreon.com and look up the Rural Woman podcast, or you can head over to my website, wildrosefarmer.com and learn more about Patreon and what it's all about. Memberships start as low as $2 per month. So if you can spare the change left in your couch to help support the podcast that I'm hoping you're loving, that would mean so much to me and you would be joining some other fabulous people already supporting the Rural Woman podcast. And I would also just like to say a quick hello to everyone over listening on the iHeartRadio app. That is the newest platform that you can download and subscribe to the Rural Woman podcast. So just want to say a quick hello before we get to Michelle's episode. And without further ado, let's hear from Michelle. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to get to talk to you. My listeners might recognize your name from a previous episode that I did with Erin Roy. She is known as the Harvest Trail Journey, and she is actually the one that introduced me to you. So I am excited to have it full circle here. But uh, yeah. My listeners that may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are, where you're from, and how you got into agriculture. Sure. My name's Michelle, and I am from Northeast Iowa. And my boyfriend and I are farmers here with corn, soybeans, alfalfa, oats, hay, and beef cattle and sheep. So we farm about 2,200 acres here in Northeast Iowa. About 500 head of livestock, so in our area, I guess you might call us a medium-sized farm. But I started my blog, Farm Babe, about four and a half years ago now, four and a half, almost five years ago. And it was really just a way to better bridge the gap between consumers and farmers. 
So, Caitlin, I think when I was reading about you, I, it sounds like you and I have kind of a similar background, <laughs> where when you come from the city, and I moved to Iowa for my farmer, my boyfriend, and for most of my 20s, you know, I had lived in Chicago and Los Angeles, so I'm sure you can kind of relate when you come from the city and you move to farm country, your eyes are really open and you kind of just want to share with everybody what you're learning, you know? For sure. Yeah, it's so, it's a completely different lifestyle. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, it was just, you know, I wanted to speak up because I think a lot of people are misinformed or there's a lot of like misinformation, fear mongering out there. So I've kind of built a name for myself, I guess, as a myth buster in the agriculture space, if you will. For sure. And can you tell us a little bit more about what you were doing in the city? It's kind of an interesting story. Yeah. So I grew up in Wisconsin. Oshkosh, Wisconsin is my hometown. And I was a 4-H kid growing up. So I was around agriculture a lot as a kid, and I always really loved it. So I was in 4-H, which I don't think you guys have 4-H in Canada, do you? We do, actually. Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay, good. Maybe it's FFA that I'm thinking of. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I know the programs kind of are different in different countries, but yeah. So in 4-H, you know, I was this 4-H kid. I grew up around horses, riding horses, doing chores and loved the farm life, but I moved to Los Angeles for college. So for me, it was just, you know, I want to get out and about in a big city and see what life is like. So I moved to Los Angeles and got a degree in fashion and ended up working for Gucci on Rodeo Drive. (laughs) So I literally say I've gone from Rodeo to the rodeo because life has just done a complete 180. I lived in Los Angeles for college and worked in fashion, moved to Chicago, worked for Saks Fifth Avenue, kind of had this fashion career for a while and got into sales. And my boyfriend and I actually met in a bar I guess about six or seven years ago now, about seven years ago. And we started dating long distance and I moved to the farm and the rest is history. (laughs) It always is. The rest is just history. I think after you meet your prince farming. (laughs) Yeah. So what about you? What city were you living in before you moved to the farm? And and tell me about your guys' farm. I know your listeners probably, most of them probably know, but there's probably some that don't, right? I'm just curious. Yeah. So I actually, the hometown that I grew up in is actually not far from our farm. So it wasn't a huge like transition distance wise, but lifestyle wise was completely different. So I grew up in Lethbridge, Alberta, and our farm is just northwest of there. And we are a certified organic operation and we grow a bunch of different things, but we're mostly known for our hemp because that's kind of the most eye-catching thing when you're driving by. So (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. That's so cool. Yeah, for sure. So tell us, Michelle, what a typical day looks like for you on your farm. Oh gosh. Every day is different really. Like this past week has been oat harvest. We've been, oh gosh, we've been cutting hay, been baling straw and baling hay and just doing all kinds of stuff. And so every day is different. You know, we've got planting at the beginning or at the, you know, April, May is when we're kind of planting a lot of corn and soybeans and whatnot. We'll be selling lambs here within the next couple of weeks, uh, fat lambs. So our sheep give birth like February, March. So really there's always something to be done just depending on the time of year, whether we're harvesting oats or harvesting corn in October or selling lambs or selling beef cattle. We're probably going to be doing that tonight. 
So I think that's one of the reasons why I love it so much is that it is so different, you know? Yeah, it's just a different variety of things to do depending on the time of year and even the time of day. (laughs) It always seems to be something new and different to do. Yeah, exactly. So it all depends, but it definitely keeps us busy because we do farm full time. And my boyfriend does a lot more of that now. I think my farm babe career has really kind of taken off. I'm just not around as much as I used to be since that's kind of taken off so much. So, But I definitely try to help out as much as I can when I'm actually in town. (laughs) Hey, all we'll get right back to our episode after a word from our sponsor. Nestled in the tree-filled mountains by Kootenai Lake in Nelson, British Columbia, KL Skin Naturals was founded in 2013 by owner Leah. KL Skin Naturals is known for their award-winning natural deodorant that I have personally been using since early 2017, and I can tell you from personal experience, it passes the farming test. You know what I'm talking about. I feel good knowing that the deodorant that I'm using is free from harsh chemicals and scents. All of their products are produced by hand from the very first measure to the very last label. Each recipe was worked, researched, perfected, and tested on family and friends who all agree that there's something unique to be offered in the effective products that Leah is making. Listeners of the Rural Woman podcast can save 10% off their order with promo code WILDROSE10. So head on over to klskindeodorant.com to choose from their wide selection of clean scented natural deodorants, plus other natural skincare products such as fresh aloe skin cream, foot butters, and more. And now back to our episode. So you mentioned the farm babe thing before and you mentioned it again. So tell us more about how you became known as the farm babe and what that platform looks like and again, how it all got started. Sure. Yeah. So I started my page, like I said, almost five years ago now. And for me, it was just, I kept reading myths online about, you know, we grow some GMO crops on our farm. And I kept hearing myths about GMOs just being drenched in toxic chemicals and stuff like that. And so I just really wanted to start a page where I could tell the real story of our farm. And that was probably my first post that really went viral was the one where I said, you know, here's how much we spray, why and how and when. Basically, it's like we we plant corn around April or May. And then when we spray, we only spray two days an entire year. And everybody always wants to talk about Roundup, right? And we spray at a rate of 22 ounces per acre, which is less than two beer cans on an area of land the size of an American football field. You know, so when I put this into perspective and told people, hey, guys, like we only spray twice a year at the beginning of the growing season. Your food is not drenched in chemicals. It's not scary. And so that was really the first post I did that went pretty viral. That post has reached nearly 10 million people now. So that was pretty cool. And so I just kind of kept going with this myth busting and decided to focus more on large scale farms because, you know, we all kind of know like that cool, small backyard farmer, you know, people in our community at farmers markets, like all that stuff is great and beautiful and wonderful. But the large scale farming is what I personally find the most interesting because I think there are so many myths surrounding that, whether it's, you know, big ag or industrial ag or, you know, factory farming, all these different terms. But when you actually connect with the farmers behind this, you realize that a lot of misinformation and fear is 
really not true or unnecessary. You know what I mean? Right. So when I started this, it's really just kind of blown up into this area where I can, I talk about all different types of farming now. And I also love to travel. So it's like, you know, whether I'm teaching people where their coffee comes from, touring a coffee plantation in Costa Rica, or I toured an organic spice farm in India. I mean, all these different aspects of things that we never think about. So I really just love learning about how our food is produced from all around the world and telling that story. And so this has led me to being a keynote speaker. I do public speaking. I am a weekly columnist with agdaily.com. And so between writing and speaking and blogging and farming still, it's definitely kept me pretty busy, but it's just really been a great platform to educate and just continue to share that story, you know? That's very cool. Where do you think is probably the most interesting place that you have toured in a different farm or a different country? As far as agriculture goes? Yes. Um, Egypt, I think, was really neat because... You know, when I was in Cairo, here you have a city, I believe it's 20 or 25 million people in Cairo. And when we were there, it was over 100 degrees. And the sheep just wander the streets. You know, they're not sheared. They're not tail docked or anything like that. They're just big, heavy, hairy, woolly sheep in 100 degree weather roaming the streets of Cairo eating out of garbage piles. They literally eat out of garbage piles. And so here I am sitting here going, wow, like I don't ever want to hear anybody complain again about how their food is raised here in our countries because, you know, in the U.S. and Canada, we're so fortunate to have this first world abundance of tons of affordable food, whereas in other countries, they don't get that luxury. And so to see these animals roaming the streets in big cities, it's just it blew my mind. We were there during Ramadan. So I don't know if you're familiar with Ramadan. A little bit, yeah. Some of their traditions. So, you know, they fast every day and then they keep a sheep. Like, So we stayed at an Airbnb in like the top floor of this apartment building. And when you walk into the apartment building, all of a sudden we hear sheep. And we look down and here's two sheep in the basement But they were saving for the end of Ramadan. And so they do, it's like this prayer sacrifice where they keep some of the mutton for themselves, some goes to the hungry, and some goes to their family. So it's like this celebration of the meat and the abundance that they eat after Ramadan is what I understand. And so it's just crazy to see (laughs) how they've raised a couple of sheep in their basement, like no big deal. (laughs) That is the strangest house pet I've ever heard of. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was definitely pretty interesting. So I'm like, okay, guys, when we're worried about how we're raising animals here, let's look at how they do it elsewhere, because we got it pretty dang good. (laughs) Yes, no doubt. Speaking of animal welfare and animal agriculture, I actually found a tweet. I don't know if you remember this or not, but we tweeted back and forth. You had tweeted uh, Joe Rogan asking to be on his podcast about doing Uh some animal agriculture misconceptions. Well, I'm no Joe Rogan, but uh, explain to us (laughs) some of the biggest misconceptions you hear about animal agriculture here in North America. Yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the biggest problems that, in my opinion, we're seeing in agriculture in general is 
you have people like the Joe Rogans of the world or the celebrities out there that believe they have this, they have a platform to take a stance on things. But the problem is that they've never been to a real large-scale farm before, as most people have not. So it's really easy to fall victim to myths. Even I fell victim for it, right? Like when I lived in Chicago, you know, of course I had to shop at Whole Foods and had to buy organic and I had to have this, that, and the other and, you know, buy antibiotic-free meats. And, well, you can't buy any chicken that's been pumped full of hormones. But it's like there's no such thing as added hormones in chicken. You know, all meat is antibiotic-free due to these withdrawal periods. So for me, it breaks my heart when I hear celebrities talking about subjects that they really don't know much about, but it's been the biggest mind opener. Like I've been completely mind blown now that I actually go in and tour these so-called factory farms that are still run by amazing families with the exact same values as any other family farm. It just so happens that their farms have gotten bigger. And the technology is just astounding where you can go in and, you know, you can get a text message if your feeders aren't working perfectly. You can get a text message when your cow is about to give birth. You can get an email notification when, you know, the temperature isn't perfect for the comfort of your pigs. You know, all of this technology, and it's so data-driven, you know, you can track 180 data points on a cow in a modern large-scale dairy farm. And the technology and the science behind taking care of animals in the best way possible is so cool. But it's really hard to explain, in my opinion, unless you see it. Like, it's one of those things you really have to see to believe because it's just so hard to explain. I just wish that I could take, like, everybody to see what I've seen, (laughs) you know? No, I agree. Like, and the tech, my husband and I were just talking about this this morning, just the technology and the science behind farming is so much further than it ever has been before. And it just keeps growing. And people just get all of these ideas and bring them to the table. And they're really helping produce quality food all over North America, plus helping the rest of the world. So it is absolutely incredible, the technology that's going into farming. Yeah, it's cool. And that's what I think is one of our industry's biggest downfalls is we need to work with more influencers, you know, outside of agriculture, because once, you know, you can get a celebrity, like I'm dying to get like a Joe Rogan or somebody, a Kardashian, <laughs> Any, anything like that, though, any type of celebrity, just to get them on farm so that they can take a stance that's more educated because, you know, science isn't always sexy. It doesn't sell, but fear sells hyperbole. And the narrative has been hijacked by these animal rights activists. You know, you see these videos and stories, but the people that are telling them have no background in agriculture. So it's just like anything, like you need to talk to your real commercial large scale farmers about what they do and not just take a New York City journalist article at face value because chances are people have done research by only seeing one side of the argument, you know? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I really think that we need a lot more of that is just more people to just come on farms and see it. And I hope that we continue to do that because you got activists, the crazy activists on one side that are spreading a lot of misinformation or propaganda. And then you've got the corporate America side, which is trying to make things look so picture perfect, jangly guitar, whatever, corporate America. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of boring. It can be kind of boring. But the beauty of working with, you know, bloggers and influencers and whatnot is, you know, they are just this movable middle that just wants 
to learn and share. And, you know, they don't work for the big corporation. You know, they're not an activist. They're just like, here's what I saw and I want to blog about it. And it's pretty cool, you know? Right. And so why do you think, so I know we have platforms that we share our stories and we spread information about agriculture, but why do you think it's important for producers to be sharing their stories about their farm and their procedures on their farms? Well, I think that's one of the most amazing or the best, most beneficial experiences I get from doing this is just when you can help people not fear their food. If you get a chance, there's a woman on Twitter. Her name is Diane Sullivan. She Her Twitter handle is food choices for all, the number four. She is wonderful, but she's a hunger advocate. So she used to be homeless and she is fighting to keep food affordable. So you have these food corporations that are changing their policies based on consumer pressures or activist pressures, you know, the HSUSs of the world or PETA, the the activist groups that are trying to change the way farmers produce food. But it's not always in the best interest for the animals. I mean, farmers know what they're doing. And it's always important to be moving forward and thinking of the best way to do things, of course. But anyway, my point is she does a great job of keeping food affordable and realizing that it takes all types of farms, all shapes and sizes to feed the world. Because if you have somebody that's living paycheck to paycheck or they're on SNAP benefits or they're going through a tough time financially, you know, they can't afford to be spending, you know, $10 a pound for organic, whatever, you know, I mean, we have to have all different types of food to feed the masses affordably. And so it's not fair to have, this percentage of upper class suburban elitists dictating what is done for food for the poor. It's just not right. And so by helping people realize that, hey, you know, it's okay. It's okay to buy the cheaper meat. It's okay to not be able to afford to buy the most expensive eggs because a lot of it's marketing. And so I think that's why it's so important for farmers and more importantly, the people in the sciences behind our food, make their sciences more well-known so that people can feel comfortable with no matter what choice they make. Absolutely. And I think just by producers opening up and sharing their stories and showing what's happening on their farm, it makes people more comfortable with the choices that they're making. Because I think there's room for everybody at the table, whether you're conventional or organic, there's room Mm -hmm. at the table for you. There's consumers that want either or, and there's consumers that can't afford either or, right? So it's important to have the options for the consumer, but as well for that consumer to be informed about how their food was produced and how it got into that grocery store. Yes, exactly. So I think when every so often I'll get like an email from a mom or something, you know, somebody that just says, you know, thank you. I was so scared about my food before this. And, you know, I'm a new mom and I didn't know what to feed my kids. And I've been so scared around, you know, is this okay to feed my family? And so I think when you can ease that food fear, it makes a big difference. But we've got all these new technologies coming to the table, you know, whether it's the fake meat or, you know, the cell-based meat or whatever the heck you want to call it. (laughs) There's so many different names. Everybody wants to fight over the name. But sometimes the corporations, they focus so much on sales and their shareholders and stuff. But it's like, if we're not tackling this misinformation that's coming from the activists, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to hurt the industry overall. And we have to take this stuff seriously and be more proactive instead of reactive by telling that story 
and not allowing the activists or the fear-based marketing to take a hold of that message. We need to take control of our own messaging. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Have you been loving the Rural Woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, draws for the Rural Woman Podcast merchandise, shoutouts on the show, and more. Your financial support of the Rural Woman Podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. So Michelle, what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Well, you know, I think the farming, like I said, I think the farming and the blogging stuff have kind of gone hand in hand. When you help somebody not fear their food, that's probably one of the biggest things. But, you know, I also do local farmers markets. And so I sell beef and lamb from our farm direct to consumer here in local grocery specialty shops and farmers markets. And, you know, we put so much work and time and effort into producing food. And, well, I'll ask you too, how involved with livestock are you guys? I personally have my own small herd of goats and I have my first beef calf this year. So um, oh, okay. yeah, we have That's a, awesome. yeah, we have a feedlot on our property, but it's actually rented out. We don't do anything with it. But at one time, my husband's family did have their own beef there as well. So I'm just yeah. kind of dipping my toe into the <laughs> animal agriculture. <laughs> For sure. That's awesome. But you'll see, you know, once, you know, like you said, you have your first, you know, beef, I don't know if it's a steer or heifer, but, you know, when you produce your own beef and you know all the work that goes into it, I think that's one of the most rewarding parts. You know, when I can sell a couple of nice T-bones to the community and they come back and say, that's the best steak I ever had. And my wife and I cooked them for our 25th wedding anniversary. And just, it's like, we want to tell that story of how it's produced, but I love hearing the story from the end user, from the end customer, that, you know, what we produce goes into making family memories that can last a lifetime. So when you say something like that, you're like, wow, like, or an Easter dinner or Christmas dinner where they made one of my lamb roasts, it's like, oh my God, like those are memories that you can look back on and say, remember at Christmas time when grandma used to make us that leg of lamb roast? And it's like, oh, you know, just to know that all your hard work is appreciated, I think is one of the best things is just to make those memories. Yes, I agree. And I've always said that agriculture brings people together and it's a community, whether you're a part of agriculture or not, because egg affects everyone, whether they know it or not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like so many, so many people just take food for granted, you know, like I hate food waste, especially when you become a farmer and you realize all the hard work and energy and effort and resources and blood, sweat and tears, literally that and the breakdowns and everything that can go wrong with the weather. I mean, there's so many things that go into farming that people just don't think of and they just go to the store and they buy or they dump a pot of coffee down the drain or they buy strawberries or lettuce or meat. 
and it just goes in the trash. And I'm like, please be more conscious of food waste. The amount of energy, like people harvest that lettuce by hand. You know, they're bending over in the hot sun to produce, to harvest that head of broccoli or they're up in the trees harvesting your apple. It's backbreaking work. It's really hard work. And so the other thing about people learning more about how their food is produced is just to be able to be more aware and not to allow so much food to be wasted, you know? Absolutely. And I can fully admit before getting into agriculture, I was very unaware of how much work and time and effort oh, went in yeah. to my food. And now oh, I, yeah, just, totally. I just appreciate it so much more than I ever have in my life. So, oh, yes, absolutely. You and me both, for sure. So, Michelle, it has been so great talking to you today. And I've appreciated getting to know you a bit better through social media. And for my listeners, if they'd like to connect with you after the episode, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks. So you can find just search Farm Babe on Facebook and I'll pop up. Or you can search my handle is at the Farm Babe on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, pretty much everything, Snapchat. <laughs> so yeah, just search The Farm Babe. And my website is also thefarmbabe.com. Or you can also search my column on agdaily.com. That's ag, like agriculture, agdaily.com and thefarmbabe.com. That's great. And I will list all of those in the show notes so people can find you with no problem. Sounds great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Yes, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hey, have you been over to shop Wild Rose Farmer lately? There are so many new great t-shirts, tank tops, stickers, and more. There's even official Rural Woman podcast gear now, including great t-shirts and hats. Feel good knowing when you're shopping on Shop Wild Rose Farmer, you directly support the Rural Woman podcast. And don't forget, members of the Wild Rose Farmer community save 20% off their first purchase. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com for all of the details. And happy shopping, y'all! Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.